good morning, Texas. Welcome to Justice for All, the Wyatt Wright Show. I'm Wyatt Wright, and on this show we talk about our rights and the laws that govern us. Rights you've heard of and care about and would certainly miss if they were gone. I've spent half a lifetime watching government go from trying to do what's right and failing to trying to do what's wrong and succeeding. Each year, more and more personal rights are erased from the books while we Americans stand idly by. Listen, it's not because we don't care. Of course we care, but we're busy enough trying to feed our family, raise our kids, while we're busying ourselves with life. The metaphorical water temperature is rising all around us. It's kind of like that frog that gets boiled without ever knowing it. Well, that's the way it goes. On this show, we discuss legal issues that affect you and me, the people of Texas. We take a hard look at the laws that affect your freedom, your ability to access the courts, to vote, to speak freely, or in short, to live the American dream. Stick around. Today, we'll be reaching out to Austin, Texas. We're going to visit with attorney Mitchell Ginsburg, a lawyer representing consumers and plaintiffs in their fight, well, for a little bit of justice. Let's go ahead and jump right in and get wet. You don't have to be a lawyer to understand how a contract works. You just don't. Two or more people agree to a set of issues. They make promises that go along with them. Let's look at a very simple contract. Let's say you hire somebody to mow your yard. You promise to pay him $20 and he promises to mow your yard. The fine point that I want to focus on is that both the homeowner and the lawn man have to agree in order for a contract to exist. That makes sense. I mean, the yard man can't force the homeowner to hire him, and the homeowner can't force the yard man to do the job. To the contrary, the homeowner has to be satisfied with his agreement to pay the $20, and the yard man has to be satisfied with his agreement to mow the yard for that price. It is not possible for only one of them to make this contract. I mean, that makes sense, right? Let's look at an example to be sure. Suppose the yard man just goes to a random house without permission and mows the yard. Does he have the right to demand that the homeowner pay him $20 for the work? Of course not. Of course not. The homeowner didn't agree to that contract. Conversely, a homeowner can't call up a yard company and say, you need to come mow my yard for 20 bucks. I mean, that requires the yard company to agree to the terms also. Pretty simple so far, right? So the concept we're focusing on is this. It takes two to tango where contracts are concerned. It takes two to tango. One person can't make a contract that binds another person. In order for a person to be bound by a contract, he or she must agree to the terms of the contract and must intend to be bound by it and must intend for a contract to be created. So we have agreement and intention. you got to have them both. And in all but the smallest situations, ladies and gentlemen, The law requires that contracts be in writing to be enforceable. So mowing a lawn, a minor matter, requires an agreement, but doesn't necessarily have to be in writing. But hiring a company to build a house, a major matter, requires the contract to be in writing. Now this also makes sense. This rule is designed to prevent someone from fraudulently claiming that you made a huge contractual promise to them. 
If it's not in writing, it didn't happen. Not coincidentally, this protective law is known as the statute of frauds. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Justice for All, the Wyatt Wright Show. On this program, we point out and talk about the ever-increasing disappearance of our American rights. So, requiring the parties to agree on the terms of a contract is elementary, right? I mean, look, if you don't agree, there can be no enforceable contract. If you were selling your car, you and I might negotiate over price, but unless I agreed to pay you a certain amount and you agreed to accept that same amount, there's no deal. I can't force you to accept $5,000 for your car, and you can't force me to pay $6,000 for your car. But once we do agree and sign an agreement, then we have what's known in contract law as a meeting of the minds. This is important, the meeting of the minds. It means that we're both on the same page, and we both understand the agreement in the same way. In the case of the car, it means that we both understand and agree what the final price will be. Why am I spending so much time on a simple concept? Because we're getting ready to talk about a Texas Supreme Court case that will make your head spin. A completely nonsensical, reprehensible, agenda-laden opinion that defies all sense of logic. The logic used by the Supreme Court in the case we're getting ready to talk about would hold that only one person is necessary to form a contract. Using that logic, a person could knock on your door tomorrow, tell you he just mowed your lawn, and demand 50 bucks. And under that reasoning, you'd be forced to comply. The heck you say, this is America. This is Texas. Nobody can force me to do something I don't want to do. That's hogwash. I didn't agree to it. I didn't sign it. It didn't happen. Well, I would have agreed with you before, but guess what, ladies and gentlemen? The Texas Supreme Court says you're wrong. And while we weren't watching, they stuck their feet in our soup and rewrote Texas contract law to favor big business over individual Texans. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Justice for All, the Wyatt Wright Show. This program, we point out and discuss the ever-increasing disappearance of our American rights. Well, let me tell you how this happened. Have you ever heard of mandatory arbitration? Arbitration is a system for resolving disputes outside of the court system and without a jury. It allows a hired person to hear the dispute between you and somebody else and make a decision that is binding on everybody. It's sort of like a private judge for hire. Now, it's not always a bad thing, but the thing about arbitration is that if you agree to it, you are giving up your constitutional right to have a jury decide your case. And and I can see cases where you would want to do that. But the key, the key, ladies and gentlemen, is that this right can only be given up if you agree to give it up in a contract. You have to have a writing that you agree to give that up in a contract. We're back to the meeting of the minds analysis we talked about earlier. Arbitration is just fine as long as both parties willfully, knowingly, purposefully, and intentionally sign a contract agreeing to compel arbitration of any disputes between them. 
What would you say if a guy dumped a load of toxic waste on your front lawn? And when you took him to court, he got to force you to arbitrate and give up your right to a jury of your peers. You'd say, get lost. I never agreed to that. Well, be prepared to get steaming mad at what the Texas Supreme Court did to Texans' rights in a case called Inray Weekly Homes. You may have heard of Weekly Homes before. They're a mass producer of housing subdivisions all across Texas. The facts were simple. A 78-year-old widower named Vernon Forsting decided to have a home built, and he hired Weekly Homes to do it. There was much involved in the process. A lot of, of, you can imagine, buying a house, there's all sorts of things that have to go on in that process. The guy's 78 years old. What does he do? He asks his daughter, Patricia, to assist him. So she is the go-between. She helps him deal with weekly homes back and forth. Remember, the man's 78 years old. All Patricia did was pitch in to help her dad, as any good child would do. That's what we'd expect. Mr. Forsting signed all the documents. He signed the contracts with Weekly Homes. He paid for the house. It was his house. One of those documents was a mandatory arbitration provision. That, of course, made him give up his right to a jury if Weekly Homes treated him wrong. Whether or not it was a good idea for Mr. Forsting to agree to arbitration is not the issue. That's not the issue. The fact is simply that it was there. The arbitration clause was in the contract that he signed. That's not in dispute. But ladies and gentlemen, his daughter, Patricia, never signed the contract. It wasn't her house. Well, there are numerous problems with the weekly home after it was completed, and many repairs were needed. It's later that Patricia moved into the house to keep an eye on her dad, who had health problems. And it wasn't long before the problems with the home construction led to her being injured as well. Patricia brought a claim in court against Weekly Homes to recover for her injuries, and it was then that she got the bad news. And she brought the claim just as any injured guest in the home would do. But Weekly Homes said, hey, Patricia, even though you didn't buy the house, you never signed an arbitration agreement with us, you're bound by the arbitration clause. Well, the trial judge heard that argument and laughed. He remembered from law school that it requires two to tango in a contract And he sided with Patricia and said, there's no arbitration here. So the trial judge agreed and did it right. Said that was absurd. Weekly Homes took it to the appeals court. The appeals court said, Weekly Homes, that's a ridiculous argument. And they refused to even hear the appeal. If you just tuned in, you're listening to Justice for All, the Wyatt Wright Show. Here we discuss and point out the ever-increasing disappearance of our American rights. And coming up, we're going to dive into the email bag to see what you say to me. So stick around for that. But taking away people's rights to go to court has been on the agenda of big business in the Texas Supreme Court for quite a long time. They weren't going to stop there, so Weekly Homes took the case all the way to Austin, Texas. And, ladies and gentlemen, in an 8-0 to zero decision, the Texas Supreme Court held that Patricia was bound by the arbitration agreement. Are you ready for this? She was bound by it because she helped her dad with some of the details in having the home built. Basically for being his helper, his right-hand man, his courier. Are you kidding me? Because she helped her dad, she is bound by his contracts? It's totally and completely absurd. Now, in this case, the Supreme Court was simply helping out a big business home builder 
and to prevent them from being liable in court for any damages. But ladies and gentlemen, here's the result. The result is that American contract law has been changed in the most ridiculous of fashions. So the mask is off, and we know that we have a state Supreme Court that is willing to completely unearth established law just to help out a mega corporation home builder. As a result, Texans will forever have to wonder, are they going to be held responsible for a contract that somebody else signs? Scary. And it should be. Time to reach into the mailbag and see what you have to say to me. Well, if you have something to say, shoot me an email. Speak up at WyattWrightShow.com. Speak up at WyattWrightShow.com or log on to Facebook and shoot us a question over there on our Facebook page. Today, we have an email from Thomas who writes, I wish more people would really look into the background of folks they vote on instead of just listening to good sound bites. Thomas, this is a, this is a, an appropriate email at an appropriate time. And I'm glad you brought it up because I faced this recently. A man running for the Texas legislature knocked on my door and asked me to sign his petition and consider voting for him. I asked him what his platform was, and he explained to me that he wanted to cut spending and wasteful programs. Uh, And he also wanted to make Texas's economy stronger. I said, well, that sounds great. I I mean, it sounds great. What, what, What programs do you intend to cut? And he says, well, the wasteful ones. Uh, okay. And I said, well, how do you intend to, to make our economy better? He says, well, by making better decisions than those people who are already in office. And so I pressed him for some concrete examples and he had none, but his clipboard was filled with signatures from those who were satisfied with only the sound bites that he had to offer. So even though this gentleman lacked substance in that arena, I can't fault my neighbors for wanting something better. I mean, I do too, but ladies and gentlemen, I suggest, I suggest that a little investigation before we go to the ballot box might go a long way. Just a reminder, you're listening to Justice for All, the Wyatt Wright Show. We're talking about the disappearance of our American rights. Today, we have a guest joining us to help us talk about our topic. His name is Mitchell Ginsburg, and he is from Austin, Texas. He's an attorney up there representing injured people in their fight to receive a little bit of Texas justice. Mr. Ginsburg is a 1994 graduate with high honors from the South Texas College of Law in Houston, Texas. He's on the board of directors of the San Antonio Trial Lawyers Association and is ever active in promoting consumer advocacy statewide. Mitchell, thank you for joining us today on the Wyatt Wright Show. Thank you, Wyatt. Well, listen, you know, here we are, and we're talking about the the NRA Weekly Homes decision uh, and some of the, the aftermath that might come as a result of that. But in that case, it dealt with somebody who was forced to arbitrate when she never agreed to do so. I mean, that's horrible and that's overreaching, but I want to talk about the broader implications here and get your thoughts on them. Arbitrations are, are solely the product of, of a contract. I mean, nobody can force you to give up that right. But here we have the Supreme Court saying, wait a minute, you, you, there's a contract whether or not you signed it. My question is, aren't we really talking about the Supreme Court here rewriting contract law in a way that, was, that we never imagined before? Uh, absolutely. Holding someone uh, to a contract that they never signed, that they're not a party to, is so counterintuitive and so against well-settled law, not only in Texas but in the United States, that this decision is completely wrong. Yeah, and, and, and you know, you said it's against well-settled law. And, and so let me just ask you, you, we're not just talking about Texas law here. We're talking about the entirety of, of, of common law. I mean, doesn't all English common law and, and most of the United States follow the, these exact same th- way of thinking when it comes to contracts? 
Absolutely. Uh, in order to have a contract, there has to be offer, there has to be acceptance, and there has to be consideration. Yeah. And that's not what we have here. We've got a case where we've got uh, we've got a lady who who doesn't agree to to anything. In fact, you know, I'm starting to think about analogies, and I'm thinking, well, what happens if I'm riding in a car with somebody and they signed an arbitration clause, and 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 somebody's hurt in this car because of a product defect? I can see that analogy saying, well, you chose to ride in the car, you're bound by it too. Am I way off base? No, I don't think you're off base at all. In fact, this case can be used by the lower courts to extend the forcing of arbitration on people who haven't actually agreed to that arbitration clause and say, Henry Weekly Homes, sorry, buddy, you're going to arbitration. Yeah. Now, tell me about this concept in contract law uh, that's, that we're, we're calling the meeting of the minds. I mean, how important is it that all of the parties to a contract have the same understanding about, well, first of all, that there even is a contract? Well, sure. Uh, in order for there to be a contract, all of the parties have to be sure about what they're contracting about. Mm-hmm. As you mentioned before, the statute of frauds requires certain contracts to be in writing. Yeah. Those contracts, uh, in particular real estate contracts, have to be in writing. Okay. If you don't sign a real estate contract, you should not be bound by any of the provisions in that contract. Makes sense. And what we have in David Weekly Homes is you've got a daughter, as you said, Patricia, who was helping out her father in some of the negotiations. Okay. And then after the house was built, they were experiencing defects in the way the home was built. Okay. So she helped her father in getting those uh, defects fixed under the warranty. Now, is there is there anything there that, that would lead us to believe that, that Patricia actually believed that she was entering into a contract? I mean, from her perspective, how could she think she was binding herself to arbitration when she never signed? I don't think there's any way that Patricia thought that by helping out her father, she was binding herself to anything. Yeah, and so now here's the issue. The law I recall being taught in law school is that a person has to purposefully intend to enter into a contract. I mean, you can't just trip and fall into one. Does this case change that elementary and, and otherwise very sensible rule? I think it certainly tries to. Yeah. I see this uh, case as being very result-oriented. Uh, you have a Texas Supreme Court that is what I would call, by any definition, an activist court. Uh, the court is attempting to change law that not only that we learned in law school, but that's been around forever, and try to bind people to contracts that they are not a party to. Well, that's just, and that's the insane thing, because what I'm thinking about is that stability is everything in the law. The reason that we have our system of, of, of you know, in the law, we call it stare decisis, but in, in other, it's just consistency is what we're talking about. And the one thing that I've learned from this Supreme Court in the last decade is that nothing is sacred. I mean, what you learned in law school that has been the same for 200 years is suddenly ripped apart by this court. Mitchell, doesn't it make it extremely difficult to practice law with any sort of predictability? Yeah, well, the only predictability is that uh, when a consumer is going up against uh, big business, that the Texas Supreme Court is going to make sure, no matter what, that the business wins. Yeah, and, you know, you, you mentioned this being a result-oriented opinion, that they, they set out to actually uh, help weekly homes in this case, and, and I believe that, but, but 
the thing that concerns me, and I just want to make sure that, that maybe I'm not misunderstanding this, is that in doing so, it's not just achieving the result of helping weekly homes. It's not just achieving that specific result. In the process, it's ripping up the infrastructure of the law beneath it, uh, and it's sort of like ripping up the pavement just to get one car off the parking lot. Uh, that's absolutely correct. Uh, the court cites a direct benefits estoppel, basically, that a person has embraced the contract. Mm-hmm. What in the world does that mean? Right. If you embrace the contract, you've now uh, become a party to it? I, I, I think that that has far-reaching problems in as it relates to consumer contracts in uh, every type of consumer transaction. Yeah, that's the, that's the scary thing. Uh, so how far off base is it to, to hold somebody liable for an agreement that they never signed or even knew about? How, how far off base is it to think that this, this is possible, it, it can happen again in Texas? Uh, well, in my opinion, not only is it off base, it's mm-hmm. completely wrong. But now it can happen in Texas because the lawyers can hold up the Henry Weekly Got Homes it. case and say, this is now the law of the state. Yeah. And that, of course, is the real problem. Uh, and, and here we are taking a huge chunk out of the laws that protect us, like, you know, you mentioned the statute of frauds. If we're going to have a law that, that prescribes when a contract needs to be in writing and then we don't follow it, well, then, then we're sort of, everything we do is at our own peril, is it not? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, there is one good thing, though, that uh, they did mention in this uh, opinion. All right. And that is that the U.S. Supreme Court has not spoken. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah. And so the consumers still have one chance left that the U.S. Supreme Court can decide that uh, this is unconstitutional. Sure. And, of course, that really goes to the issue of the of the federal arbitration rules more so, I think, than it does go to the concept of whether or not a person can be held to a contract, which is which might be a state issue. And it, it worries me. Uh, here we are talking about weekly homes. And, and if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Justice for All, the Wyatt Wright Show. We're discussing the ever-increasing disappearance of, of our American rights. Joining with us, uh, us on the phone is Attorney Mitchell Ginsburg from Austin, Texas, who represents consumers exclusively. Uh, Mitchell, can the opinion in Inray Weekly Homes be read with any redeeming quality, or is this just truly an agenda-driven decision, like you pointed out, designed to sort of insulate this home builder on this day? Uh, this is a truly agenda de- uh agenda driven opinion okay well if i had to if i had to sum up the theme of the law into one phrase and i'm trying to think of what makes sense to me it's this idea of reliable accountability the fact that if a client walks in and asks me a question and says here are my set of facts would you please give me an analysis of what I can expect from the law? Does it protect me in this situation? Does it give me rights in this situation? It's that accountability that's reliable that allows me to go to the books and give a, a fairly confident answer. But this Supreme Court seems bent on breaking the law into a hundred little unreliable pieces. Am I alone in this view, or are you facing this as well? No, I, I face this every day. Uh, the Texas Supreme Court finds a result that helps out the side that they want to win, and they write the opinion 
to that end. Yeah. And, you know, the whole idea of arbitration, that just happens to be what's in this case. But it's a very important thing. I mean, there are lots of important things in the world, like buying a car, buying a house, you know, sending somebody to college, signing a promissory note, whatever. In this case, we're talking about deciding to waive your right to a jury trial. Certainly that's important. I mean, isn't that exactly the type of contract that the law would favor that it be in writing, that you can't accidentally agree to this. You better do it with your eyes wide open. Sure. That's the exact reason why you have the statute of frauds, is so that you don't accidentally fall into an agreement forcing you to arbitration. Basically, the right to a jury trial is your constitutional right. Yeah. And that's not one that you should be able to give up lightly. Uh, Certainly not one that you should give up when you haven't signed yeah, the agreement. Well, certainly when you haven't agreed to do it in the first place, I certainly agree with you. Now, when it comes to the Texas Supreme Court's opinion in In Ray Weekly Homes, one consumer watchdog group had this to say, Mitchell. They said, quote, as a result of this far-reaching decision, a person may now be frozen out of the courts and forced to arbitrate a claim even though he never entered into an arbitration agreement with the company that injured him. Mitchell, your thoughts on this statement? True or not true? Uh, it, it's absolutely true. Uh, the holding in this case could be extrapolated to all type of types of agreements. Uh, anytime you help your parents, your family, your friends, this opinion could be used to say now you are bound by the agreements that your parents, your friends, your family have made. Right. Well, listen, I've I, I got to thank you for joining us today, Mitchell. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it's guys like you that help us understand this law. Thanks again for joining us today. My pleasure. Mitchell Ginsburg is an Austin, Texas-based attorney representing injured people in their fight to receive just a little bit of Texas justice. He's a 1994 graduate with high honors from the South Texas College of Law in Houston. Ladies and gentlemen, our laws are being pulled apart. They're being pulled apart, piece by piece, by justices and lawmakers who've forgotten what it means to be a human being. These folks are beholden to the big corporations that support them and the ones that put them into office. Rulings and laws that deliberately allow wrongdoers to escape liability as a stain on America. And if we don't hold people accountable for their actions, and that includes mega corporations, then the rule of law will mean very little indeed. Don't let it happen. Our children deserve better. We're going to have to wrap up this show, but as you go through your week, remember that it was just this learned hand who so famously said, if we're to keep our democracy, there must be one commandment, thou shalt not ration justice. Have a good day, everybody. Visit us on Facebook and click like. Come on over to the iTunes store and get the podcast as well. We'll see you next time right here on The Wyatt Wright Show. Fight!